0: the book of first timothy chapter 4 If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. Just keep that hand up so they can get to you. First Timothy chapter 4 and we will begin reading in verse 6 through verse 10. When you got it, say so it says this it says if you instruct the brethren in these things you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed but reject profane and old wives fables and exercise yourself towards godliness for bodily exercise profits a little But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe these things command and teach. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness today. And Spirit of God, we just pray that you would speak to us and you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. I pray that you would use me, God, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that the name of Jesus would be lifted high And all that I preach and all that I share today. And I pray above all, Lord God, that as you are lifted up, Lord, that we would not just look to you in your glory and wonder, but God, that we would live from that place, my God, that we would live from a place of glorification of your name, from a place of that wonder of who you are and what you have done for us, that we would not be idle hearers of your word alone, but that we would be doers of your word, Lord God. I pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so as we look at this verse here, it's important for us to look at the context of what the Apostle Paul is communicating. And I'm not going to dig real deep into this scripture today because I'm going to use this scripture the last week and I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. But the Apostle Paul is communicating to his son in the faith, Timothy, who he left in Ephesus to raise up the church, to raise up leadership. And as he's communicating to them, he's talking to them and he gives them all of these instructions and he goes on in verse 6 and he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine with which you have carefully followed, which you have carefully followed. And so what he's communicating is he's saying, listen, he said, if you teach and preach the things that I have instructed you about, the things that I've reminded you about, you're going to be a faithful witness or a faithful minister. And I love in verse um, in, in verse 8, he says, well, in verse 7, he starts off, he said, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself. Say exercise yourself. Exercise, exercise yourself towards godliness. And he goes on and says, for bodily exercise profits a little. Say a little. A little. A little doesn't mean that it doesn't profit at all. It is a comparative thing that he's saying. He's saying that bodily exercise profits a little bit. It profits you some. And he goes on to point out why. He said, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. And what he's saying is that bodily exercise has a profit in this life and in this alone. Amen? Listen, you can be ripped to the hilt, okay, like have 3% body fat and just be amazing, okay? And when you die, guess what? All your amazingness is going to lay in a grave. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so I'm not telling you don't get, you know, ripped in 3% body fat. I'm saying do it all, all, all for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I'm just saying, I mean, you can, you can live healthy, and that's, that's very important, but Paul is making a comparative statement, and he's saying that bodily exercise has some benefit, he said, but exercising yourself towards godliness, because godliness has benefit in this life now and in the life to come. And so the series that I'm going to deal with is, Are You CrossFit? Now y'all know I I recently started doing this, and David, where is he at? I need to look at him when I say this. He's right there. And so on Facebook, I made a comment on something, and he did this post. I wish I would have got the picture, man, but I, I didn't have. It. I'll get it for you next week. But on the picture, it says, you know how you it was something to the effect of, you know how you can tell someone started CrossFit? He said because all they do is talk about CrossFit. And so I'm like, all right, you got me, bro, because I talk about it a lot, and it's because you get excited and, you know, you talk about all these different workouts that you do. But here's the point. The point is, and the way that this whole message came about is as I'm praying and I'm meditating on the Lord, and I'm like, okay, God, where am I going to go next? I have a couple of things in my heart. My daughter and I are driving down the road, and she's looking at a license plate, and she's like, Dad, I have this amazing license plate. She was going to say something about CrossFit on there. And when she said that, I just saw this picture and it was a CrossFit. And I'm like, yo, this is what I'm going to preach. Are you CrossFit? And understand this. I was going to give you a brief um, introduction to CrossFit. I'm not trying to get you to go to CrossFit. I just want you to understand what it is and the correlation that there is between CrossFit in the workout sense. And you being CrossFit as a Christian. When you look at the actual exercise program of CrossFit, it's a a combination. It's like one-third weightlifting. It's one-third gymnastic movements. And then it's a third of high-intensity interval training. And it's proven to be one of the most challenging exercise programs. It really produces these great results, right? And people that do CrossFit, it's not about just big muscles, okay? It's about functionality. It's not about just somebody being able to lift a lot of weight, but it's about you being able to function. It's about you being healthy. And let me say this about any exercise that you do. Any Size that you should do should make you more functional in the real world. Hello. Because it's all good for you to go ahead and be able to lift a thousand pounds, but if you can lift a thousand pounds in a gym, but you can't pick up, you know, something when you're out in the real world, like, what was that? How did that benefit you, right? Like, you're so big, you can't even do anything, Right. I'm just saying, like, you just you just walk around looking funny. That's because you're just so amazingly strong, but you can't do anything, right? You, I mean, if someone was trying to beat you up, you'd be like, oh, you know, I mean, it, it'd be bad. Couldn't defend your family. You would just hope that you were big enough to scare someone away, right? I'm just saying. And so the point is that anything that we do, right, it should be functional outside. It shouldn't be something, that, oh, man, I'm amazing in the gym, but it does nothing for me outside, right? Okay, so check this out. When you look at that in, in, in the CrossFit world, what happens is, There are some dangers, you know, when you do CrossFit and you hear different things. I'm not going to give you all those, you know, dangers. But the point is that if you don't do things right, you can end up getting hurt, right? In Christianity, it's the same mindset. And this is it. What we do in church should be functional outside of church. When we come together, it shouldn't just be about us coming together and worshiping Jesus and lifting our hands up and making proclamations and declarations and all these different... It should not just be that, but our lives must be lived out in a functional way. See, Christianity is not supposed to be something that we just do on Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12.30 or whatever time we get out of church, and then after that I'm no longer a Christian. But Christianity should be something that is lived out. And there's dangers, you see, because when you... come to church there's some things that can happen you can become a legalist hello I'm just saying, you can become someone who is a real legalist, a person who is just very legalistic, very ritualistic, and you get bound into all of that next year during the um, Holy Week. You know, last week was ho- well, the week before was Holy Week, right? And so it starts on Palm Sunday, and I made a point that this year I decided that I'm going to be extremely liturgical next year, and what that means is we are going to really celebrate Palm Sunday. We're going to have a week full of just services, glory to God. I know y'all are excited. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, 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 and what I realized as we were talking in my connect group, and as we were communicating, because, you know, we haven't been liturgical in the past. Like, you know, we've done some good Friday services here and there, but next year we are going all in with the liturgy, amen, somebody, right? And y'all going to be here for all them services, amen, 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 yes, yes, just get on your calendar now. But here was the thing, and we were in our connect group, and someone told me something called Fat Tuesday. How many of y'all know what Fat Tuesday is? Raise your hand if you know what Fat Tuesday is. Lift it up high. Be loud and high and proud. Just proud. Yeah, you know what Fat Tuesday is? Well, I don't know what Fat Tuesday was. Put it down now. For the rest of you, you, don't know what Fat Tuesday is. Raise your hand. All right. So Fat Tuesday is the day before Lent. And what, what, what happens on Fat Tuesday is you get fat. And what I'm saying is, not physically, but you get all your sins in. For the next 40 days, you're going to be Holy. Right? You going to Ash Wednesday, I'm just saying, I'm not going to do the ashes. I'm not doing that. We're not going that far. But here's what I'm saying. For those 40 days, you are going to be holy. And do I have anything wrong with Lent? Say no. No. I don't have anything, anything wrong with that. Here is the thing, is that I'm going to go and have this fat Tuesday. I'm going to get all my sins in. It's the end of Mardi Gras. I'm going to get all my sins in. I'm going to make sure that I just go all out for my flesh, because for the next 40 days, I'm going to go all out for Jesus. Right? And in my connect group, I began to have this epiphany. And I, and, and I was thinking to myself, and I'm going to let you know a message I'm going to preach the week after Easter. And it is going to be this. Are you supposed to live a holy week or are you supposed to live a holy life? See, because here's the thing. When you become ritualistic, you will get really intense. And the reason why I want to get liturgical is because I really believe that there is some that there is some richness and there are some good things that we can do to commemorate and to remember that Passion Week of Jesus. And we can remember and we can look back and we can really be stirred and really come back to some moments of, you know, some holy reflection. I think that that's a good thing. But the issue is when all of my stock of my faith is bound in a 40-day period. Period or in a seven day period, but the rest of my year is not bound to Jesus, there's a problem. And what can happen to us as Christians is it becomes even worse because we are holy on Sunday morning. Like we don't want to curse no one out. We don't want to act funny when we're driving here. You know, we don't want to do we want to be righteous. Amen. Because when we get to church, we want to feel good in God's presence. We we don't want the preacher to be preaching to me today. Hello, somebody. Right? We don't want bishop to be talking about. And so what happens to us is that we get in this mindset that we're going to be holy for Sunday. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? What about all of those days? See, because we can become ritualistic. And then there's the other side of it is that we can just become real liberals. That's the other danger. We come to church and and, and we'll deal with that in a moment toward, toward the latter part of the message. But the other danger is, you hear this message of grace, and let me tell you something. I am in love with the grace of God. I thank Him for His grace. His grace has saved me. His grace has delivered me. I am not saved because I am so holy. I am saved because of what Jesus did. Amen. Period. It is not because of my goodness that I'm accepted in His presence. It is because He is good. It is because He is holy. It is because He is righteous. It is because he is the sacrificial lamb who died in my place and died in your place nonetheless that does not mean that i can go ahead and say a prayer and then walk out and live how i want to live but that is one of the other dangers that happens to us it is not just that we become ritualistic is that we feel like well i'm saved by grace so no matter what i do god doesn't love me any less and so i begin to live a life that does not reverence him And so when I ask the question, are you cross fit? I'm asking you a question about your Christianity. How has the cross affected your life? Paul reminds Timothy that bodily exercise has some value, but what is the most important is that we are training or exercising ourselves toward godliness. So over the next three weeks, we will look at the cross and how, while we are not all called to do CrossFit, that is obvious, right? Not all of us are are called to do CrossFit. Every one of us is called to be CrossFit. Every one of us is called to be CrossFit. I want you to write this scripture down, and you should be able to take notes because you have the outline there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As a matter of fact, let's just turn there together. I want you to look at this because I want you to see Paul's heart regarding the cross and how important the cross was for him and his preaching and his teaching under the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says something that's very important for us. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. The, i never forget when, when, when we were, when we were st- getting ready to launch the, the church, and we were planting the church, and I went to the office of the person who did our Articles of Incorporation, and he was a pastor as well, and he had been preaching for a lot longer than I had even been alive. I mean, he, this guy had been a Christian for much longer than me, and I'll never forget sitting in his, in, in, in his, in his um, office, and he said to me, he said, Jason, he said, preach Christ and him crucified. And let me explain to you the ignorance that was in my brain at that moment. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good message for someone who's going to get saved, but what about for the Christians? In my mind, I didn't say that to him. I was like, hey, man, I got to go. Because I thought that I understood, you know, I was like, well, there's some deeper things. Listen, this is the deep thing. The cross is the deep thing. Jesus Christ crucified is the deep thing. It is Christ crucified that gives us life. It is Christ crucified that gives us right access under the Father. It is Christ crucified that allows us to experience the things that the cross give us. It is because of this Jesus that we talk about that we are able to experience the life that God wants us to experience. There is nothing deeper than the cross. You go on and you continue to read here. Don't do it now because anyone you won't be paying attention to me. But as you continue to read there, Paul talks about the mystery that he speaks and the wisdom that he speaks to the mature. And you know what that wisdom is? It is the wisdom of God of how God pre-planned before the foundation of the world for his son to come and die for us. Those are the deep things that God wants us to grasp in our hearts. And so, for us, meditation upon the work of Jesus on the cross is the key to us becoming crossfit. And I'll say that again meditation upon the work of Jesus on the cross is the key for us to becoming crossfit. And so, today's title of the message is Cross Freed, Cross Founded, and Cross Formed. So, the first thing is this please repeat this after me. This is my first point. The cross has the power to free us from the effects of sin. The cross has the power to free us from the effects of sin. So the first question that we would ask ourselves is, have I been freed by the power of the cross? And so what are these effects of sin? And you should know them, but I'm just going to help you to see them again. The first effect of sin that God deals with on the cross is our separation from himself. Look at your Bible and turn with me. You're already in 1 Corinthians. Or 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you'll see here 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. And many of you are very familiar. Familiar with this portion of scripture and so this won't be any new news to you but hear it this is what it says it says in verse 14 second corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 we'll start there we'll read to verse 21 he said for the love of christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So just for a moment, because this is not the point of the scripture that I, that, that I want to drive home. But look at verse 15, underline that. What happens when we experience the, the, the revelation of Jesus? Something should happen in our lives. And it is that we no longer live for ourselves, but we now live for the one who died for us. We now live for his glory. We live for his honor. We live for his renown. We live for his kingdom. If we don't understand the cross, we will continue to live for ourselves. We will continue to want Jesus to benefit our lives instead of being the Lord of our lives. There is a huge difference between Jesus being the icing on your cake and Jesus being the absolute cake. There's a big difference. He's not just some decoration that we put in some part of our lives, but he is supposed to be all of it. And so going on in verse 16, he says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we, may, we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. This is the portion that you should be familiar with. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So notice what he says here. He says that God was in Christ reconciling. Now, when you look at this word reconciling, the the, the problem is that in the Garden of Eden, there was a separation that took place. God walked with Adam and with Eve like we walk together every day. It, it was an intimate. It was an unhindered relationship. They walked together. The Bible says that God came after Adam ate of the fruit. He came during the cool of the day and he was walking and he was, and he was looking for Adam, not because he had lost Adam, but because Adam had lost his way. So it wasn't like he was like, oh, I misplaced Adam. No, it is that Adam was now lost. Adam had now been separated from God. And what happens is because of that separation, all of us are born in that state which is called sin. We are born sinful. But then something happens. As we grow and we get a little bit older, you will notice there's like a switch that clicks on. Now, children in, in, in general are just rebellious. Someone say Amen. I know the kids are like, I'm not rebellious. Yes, you are. But listen, I'm just saying, the truth of the matter is that in general, they're rebellious, right? In gen- I mean, the Bible says this. I'm not saying this. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. There's foolishness that is in a child's heart. Children are sinners by nature. They, they're just sinful. They're selfish by nature. Somebody says that. Children don't even understand the concept of sharing until like three years old. That's why everything is mine. It's mine. And some people are 30 years old, and they still don't understand the concept of sharing. It's mine. It's mine. No, it's not yours. Right? And so the point is, we are by nature sinners. But here's what happens. While that child is by nature a sinner, that child is not the same as when that child becomes like 12 or 13, and they start doing things intentionally that are against the laws of their parents. And I'm just saying 13. I'm just throwing that out there. It could be 11. Could be ten. You know when the switch turned on in your life, right? Where you started hiding stuff. You start. You started trying to cover your sin. You know what that. You know what happened. That's the same thing that happened to Adam. I'm just saying, right? What did Adam do? He tried to cover himself. He's like, oh, hold on a second. I'm naked. But who told you you were naked? How did you even know you were naked? You know, you know that kids do, their ki- children do things, right? And they're not, they're not like trying, you know, intentionally, but they get to a certain age, and, the, and it's that age of accountability where they really know what they're doing. And so by birth, we're sinners, but also by our actions, we're sinners. And see, here's, here, here, here's the thing. The thing that you got to get is that we don't just, you know, sin against each other, but we sin against God. And when it comes to God's laws, we are sinners. We do not want to obey God's laws. We don't want to do. Husbands, I'm just. going to let you know this right now. There's a reason why the Bible says husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You want to know why? Because there is something in our sin nature that does not want to love our wives. Now, bishop, you ain't talking about me. I'm talking about every man in this room. That's us. That's us. I didn't say you. I said us. We're rebellious by nature. And wives, ladies, let me not leave you out because I know the ladies don't want to be left out. Amen, amen. We, we got to keep it balanced, right? Ladies, there's a reason why Paul said, wives, submit to your husbands. Mm hmm. I'm going to let you know something. I got more scripture to support that women don't want to submit than I do that men don't want to love. I'm just saying. I can go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. You want me to go back there? I ain't going to go there. But see, I'm just saying. There is more scripture to support that. But here's the thing. The point is we're both sinful, right? Right? We're both rebellious. The the Bible tells us, and we're going to look at some other scriptures here. The Bible tells us to forgive one another. You want to know why it tells us those things? Because by nature, we want to not forgive people. By nature, we want to hold grudges. And some of you are like, man, I've never been a grudge holder. Listen, that's fine. You're, You're an exception to the rule for most. Most of us, by nature, we don't want to forgive people. We don't want, and and especially once we get really hurt. And so the thing is that we are by nature these sinners. And what God does, what the cross frees us from, is it frees us from this enmity or this enemy relationship that we have with God. Because not only do we break his laws, but when we break his laws, we become his enemies. We become his enemies. You know what he does? And his love and his grace on the cross, he frees us from that enmity. He frees us from that relationship. So here's my question. My question is, have you been freed from that enmity? Have you been freed from that separation from God? The second thing is separation. These are the effects of sin because I said the cross has the power to free us from the effects of sin. So the first one is separation from God. The second effect of sin that we see is separation from others. So look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. That's just a couple of books over. And he says here, he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so what happens is God deals with our sins against him on the cross. But he also deals with the sins of others against us on the cross. He deals with their sins. And what he says is he, is he tells us here, he says, forgiving one another. We are supposed to forgive each other. And so what the cross does is the cross frees us from that need to protect yourself because who's protecting you? Because who's, who, who's, this, 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 is, this is typical of us, right? When you get hurt, don't you, don't, don't you build up walls? I know we don't want to admit that. You know, it, it's, it's not a big wall. It's just like a little picket fence, right? It's just enough where, like, yo, th- that's my space, right? It's like my personal space. Amen? I'm just saying, right? And we do that when, when someone hurts us. See, because when we're in a relationship, right, and we haven't been hurt, yo, we're cool. There's no picket fence. Like, yo, just jump up in here. We're going to hang out together. It's all good, right? No, but you hurt me, and what happens? Oh, hold on a second. Now you're, like, arm oh, distance. Hurt me again? Oh, hold up. Time out. We're going to bring this thing up to a privacy fence. I'm just saying, you can't be looking up in my business, right? Heard me a third time, yo, I'm locking the junk on you. Like, you are not coming in. Like, we're going to put some electrons on the fence. I'm just saying. We're going to make sure you know. But the thing is that by nature, that is how we are. And so sin separates us. Why? Because we are sinners who sin against God and sin against one another. it's only when the cross has dealt with our hearts that we deal with those sins and we are really able to forgive. Now, let me just say this as a parenthesis. I am not talking about being unwise in relationships. Somebody say amen, please. I'm not talking about you're just going to be a free-for-all, just, you know, everybody's all up in your business. You're close to everyone. That is ignorant. Amen? It's not possible. You can't even function like that. I mean, for real, you only, I'm I'm just saying, you really only have the emotional capacity to have only a few really close friends. I mean, that's just realistic. you you number one, you don't have the time. Second of all, you don't have the emotional energy. I'm just saying. And so, I'm not talking about, you know, you have to be chummy chummy with everyone because that's just not realistic. What I am saying is that you have to offer forgiveness to everyone. Everyone what about the person that molested me when I was a kid? Everyone. Does it mean you put yourself in a lonely situation with them? Absolutely not. Does it mean you send your kids to spend the night over there to prove your forgiveness? Absolutely not. That's stupid. But do you forgive them? Oh, Bishop, you don't know. I do know. I was molested as a kid. And I had to forgive all of those people who did that. And not hold it against them. And not act funny around them. But you don't do that unless you are free. You don't do that. Oh, well, you know, what about that, you know, ex-whoever or someone who abused me or someone who mistreated me? What about those people? Yeah, all people. We forgive them. Does that mean that we got to subject ourselves to being in those scenarios? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we really have to forgive. Amen? So the cross frees us from separation from God. It frees us from separation from others. And it frees us, I love this one, it frees us from separation from God's purpose. Look at the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Those are the three things that sin affects us with. It affects us because it separates us from God. It separates us from people. And it separates us from God's purpose for my life. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. When you got to say amen. It says, if then you were raised with Christ. In other words, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's what he's saying here. If you have put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then you have been raised with Christ. And he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the uh, not on the things of the earth, and for you died and your life is. Is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above. Here's the issue: we come to Jesus and we get our and we're supposed to have this right relationship with God, right relationship with others, and then there's something else that should happen. Our mind should not be on earthly things. Our pursuits should not be on earthly things. Well, Bishop, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm 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 not supposed to work a job? I didn't say that. Does that mean that I'm not supposed to care about my health? I didn't say that either. Does that mean that I shouldn't worry about my wife or my husband or I shouldn't worry about my children? That's not what I'm saying. Those are all earthly things. But the point is, is my mind set on those things or is my mind set on heavenly things? You see, because when I work my job, my job is not my idol. My job is not my goal. That, I, I, I'm not just striving for success. My every waking moment isn't about the money I make or the next step, you know, wherever I am in my career. It's not about that. My every striving goal and point of life and work is to do what? It is to keep my mind set on things above. And what am I doing? I am wanting to point everyone to Jesus through my work ethic and through what I do. And I don't get my mind off of what? The goal, which is to bring glory to God. See, and it works that way with every other relationship with my parents, with my children, with my spouse, with my coworkers, with my neighbors, with whoever. My mind is set on things above because if it is not that way, church, we will pursue the things of this world as though they are our gods. Those things become the things that define us. See, and here's the reason why these questions become so important to us. It is because there are too many professed believers who are still bound by an old identity. They're still hindered by old experiences, and they're still driven by old motivations. They should have come to Jesus, they should have let those experiences go, they should have let those identities in the past go, and they should have let those pursuits of this world go, but instead they are still bound in those things. And so the first thing is that the cross frees us from the effects of sin. The second thing is say this with me. The cross must be the foundation upon which we stand. The cross must be the foundation upon which we stand. Understanding the power of the cross gives us the correct foundation to stand upon in all areas of our life. The cross gives us stability. Say that with me. The cross gives us stability, it gives us a foundation that we can stand on. Why is that? Listen to me. Jesus said, It is finished. When Jesus was on the cross, he clearly stated, tetelestai is the word in the Greek. He said, it is finished, means it is paid in full. It is a completed work. He had done everything that needed to be done for our salvation, for our deliverance, for us to experience eternal life, which is what? Which is to know God the Father here and now. He did everything for that. And when Jesus said it was finished, he meant it was finished. So what does that mean for us? It means that the work of the cross cannot be undone by anything we face understand this the work of the cross cannot be undone by anything we face that is where we stand firm that no matter what i'm facing jesus died for me and i can stand firm wherever i am see the difficulties that i face the hardship that i face the trials that i face in life don't mean that god doesn't love me hello A lot of times we go through difficulty, we go through letdowns, we experience different things, and we begin to question, like, you know, why, you know, we start asking questions like, well, why is God testing me like this? Or, you know, why is God putting me through this? And and we begin to question God's love for us. Hold on a second. The cross frees us from those mindsets. It is the foundation upon which we stand. So that means that no matter what I'm facing, I know what? I'm loved. No matter what I'm facing, I know that I am loved. No matter what I'm going through, I know that I'm loved. Why do I know this? Is it because I feel loved? Let me ask you a question. How many of you received, um, I'm going to call it corporal punishment, so that would be a spanking. Amen? How many of y'all received corporal punishment when you were a child? Raise your hand. Now Now, let me ask you a question. How many of your parents, either prior to or after, said, this hurt me more than it hurt you? Right? Raise your hand. Okay. So you know that. <laughs> now there's some truth to that, right? Now now now, 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 now now this is this is the reason why I asked this question. When you were getting that corporal punishment or that spanking, let me ask you something. Did you feel the love of your parents every time you were getting whacked? Like, I feel love. Oh, I'm loved. Oh, oh, I love, oh, she love, oh, he loves me. I'm just saying, like, you weren't, like, reminded of the love of your parents in the moment of discipline, were you? No, of course we're not. But can I ask you a question? Today, after all that, do you think your parents love you? Seriously. I mean, some of you were like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, forgive them. Forgive them, right? I I mean, and listen, in some cases, parents were abusive. They, you know, they, they went to another level. They didn't have to. I get all that. But what I'm saying is, for the most part, for those of you that do, you know, do use the rod of correction, do you not love your kids? You know why? And now you understand why your parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Why? Because you love them, and it hurts you to see them cry. It hurts you to know that you are inflicting pain on them, whether it's time out in a corner or whether it's a spanking in the butt. It hurts you to do those kind of things, right? But you, you do it why? Because you love them, right? If you don't spank your kids, I'm, listen, I'm going to just say this, okay? if you don't spank your kids, and, and, and I'm going to use spanking very loosely right now, okay? If you don't discipline, we'll use that word. Let's use that word, okay? Because I know some people are like, well, you shouldn't spank. Okay, fine, I shouldn't spank. That's you, not me. I should spank, okay? I should. I don't know about you, but I should, okay? Maybe you don't have to. I should. Um, I need to, but here's the thing. But here... But if, if you don't discipline your kids... What do you show? You show that you don't love them. You show that you don't care about them. You show them that you don't. But you know what God did? God took the greatest discipline upon himself for us. Understand this. He took the greatest discipline upon himself for us on the cross. Listen, none of us are going to experience what Jesus did in his fullness. None of us would do that. None of us are going to experience that in his fullness. Now, you may die as a martyr for Jesus. You may do that, and and, and that's going to be glorious. But here's the thing. The thing is that God, when we're going through hardship and difficulty, you know where we stand firm? We stand firm in the cross. We stand firm on the foundation of what Jesus did. Why? Because no discipline in the present is what? It's good. It doesn't feel good. It's not something that's enjoyable or pleasurable. That's the reason why we question. But if we have a firm foundation and we have a cross-centered doctrine of salvation, then you know what begins to happen for us? When we go through hardship, we still stand firm upon what? We stand firm upon the work of Jesus. Here's the thing, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the foundational block of the church building. And when I say church building, I don't mean the exterior building, I mean the spiritual building of the church. His word is the rock upon which we must build our lives and the cross must be the foundation of our identity. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Philippians, we're going to turn a lot of scriptures, so when I'm doing topical preaching, you know, we're going all over the Bible. So there's not just go through four, four scriptures. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 16, look where the Apostle Paul's foundation is. And he gives us a real understanding of how our foundation should be as far as where we stand in our in our relationship with God and where we stand during whatever we're going through in life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Say no confidence in the flesh. Listen, you should let that be a word for you this morning. We have no confidence in the flesh. No matter how good life is, no matter how much we have attained, no matter how much we have acquired, we should have no confidence in the flesh. No matter how much we've lost, no matter how much we don't have, we should have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence should be in one and one alone, and that is Jesus. 100% in our lives. He says, and we have no confidence in the flesh. He goes on to say this. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, he says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, in other words, the things that I could put my hope in. The things that I could, you know, tie my, my assurance to. He says, those things, he says, I count these, I have counted loss for Christ. He says, yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You guys know what that rubbish really is, right? That rubbish is literally the word means a dunghill. For, for y'all don't know what dung is, dung is fecal matter okay it is poop all right that's what it is he's saying i've counted all things as rubbish it is garbage to me he said all of these things that i have they are all rubbish they're all garbage they're all fecal matter they're all they, they 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 mean nothing i mean who wants a pile of poop no one i'm just saying like, give me a gift. Here you go. I don't want that. I'm just, I mean, no one wants that, right? <laughs> Seriously. Like, put it in a box. No matter how nice you wrap it, no matter how amazing it is, you can spray it up. I mean, you can freeze it. You can do whatever. I'm just saying, nobody wants a box of poop, right? I mean, let's be serious. And, 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 and this is, but Paul is making a point. He is saying, listen, I count it all like that. Listen, we count our plaques on the wall, we count all of our promotions, we count, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the zeros after the other numbers, right? Because we don't want just zeros in our bank account, right? We want those zeros after, right? And so I'm just saying, we we count those things. We're like, those things are so amazing. And Paul says, I count all of that as rubbish. All of that is garbage. That is not my goal. What he's saying is, I am not satisfied in those things. He goes on to say, he says that he says, I counted this because of what? Look what he says. That I may gain what? All he wanted was Jesus. That I may gain Christ. So he says, take it all from me. I just want Jesus. And he goes on to say in the next verse, he says, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead this is a man that his passion his desire was what to know Jesus to be found in Jesus to experience the power of Jesus and he says this he says and to know him and the fellowship of his suffering literally what he saying is I realize that Jesus was a man of sorrows so that means that if I am really going to know him it is not going to be in the mountaintops that I'm going to know him it is going to be through the hardship through the valleys and through the difficulties of life that I am going to be able to know my savior and Paul welcomes it he welcomes it he welcomes this and he goes on he says not that I've already attained or am already perfected but I press on you got to press on amen amen so I love all the words, you know, press on. You're like bench pressing, right? We're talking about CrossFit, amen, somebody. I'm just saying, he presses on. I mean, if you look at the words in the Bible and you look at these scriptures, I mean, he's, 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 for, he's talking about force. He's talking about effort. He's pressing whatever kind of press you can think of. He is pushing forward toward a mark. As says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That is so awesome. I strive toward the thing for which Christ has gripped me. Jesus grabbed you for a purpose. He grabbed you for a heavenly call. He didn't grab you just to bless you in this life. He grabbed you because he wants you to experience eternal glory with him. And Paul says, that is what I press on for. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone he is the rock his word is the foundation we're supposed to build upon the cross and nothing else amen Amen. the third thing is this say this with me the finished work of the cross forms our character as we carry our own cross the finished work of the cross forms our character as we carry our own cross now, we just came out of the book of Galatians, and in that series, we learned that grace trains us in righteousness. But practically speaking, how does this happen? See, here's the thing. I'm reading a book called Hyper Grace, right? And too many people believe that grace works on its own. In other words, you don't have to do anything once you put your faith in Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to pray if you don't want to pray. You don't have to read your Bible if you want to read your Bible. You don't have to have any kind of spiritual discipline at all. You don't have to make, um, you know, church, fellowship. You don't have to make any of those things a priority. There are some people that believe that that because, this is the thing, if you add anything, you know, in that sense, like you have to be disciplined. Like, you know, you make, make it a point. You wake up at 5 in the morning to pray. You make it a point that you read however many, you know, scriptures in the Bible a day. Or you make it a point that you're part of different things that, that have to do with works. That somehow you're trying to earn salvation. And Paul is letting us know in the scriptures that it's not that way. And we're going to look at Philippians and we'll see that. But I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. And you can write these other scriptures down also. But look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is one of the most challenging, I think, verses that Jesus puts forth. I mean, he puts forth a lot of challenging stuff. But he puts forth a very sobering challenge. To all of his would-be followers. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to verse 28. And the scripture I was going to tell you, you can write down. You can write down Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to verse 9, or verse chapter 9, verse 1. And also the book of Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 27. Because they're all of the same conversation that Jesus has. Look what Jesus says here, verse 24. So Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what, will, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Jesus communicates the, and, and, and understand the context of this conversation. Jesus has finished asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then, you know, they give him some answers, and then you know, he's like, Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, You are the Son of God. You're the Messiah we've been waiting for. And Jesus tells Peter, He says, He says, You know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but God in heaven, He's revealed this to you. And then he goes from there, Jesus tells him, Now you know who I am. He says, Now I'm gonna have to die. And when he starts telling Peter and the other disciples about dying, what does Peter do? Peter goes from having this moment of holy revelation to being now being called the devil. Seriously, it was like, it was it was like just like that. So one moment, he's like, praise, he's like the man, like, yo, you're the man, bro. You got that deep revelation from God. A few seconds later, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Why? Because Peter's like, nah, man, you can't die. You can't, you, you, are the king. How's the king gonna die? You're the you're the you're the messiah we've been waiting for. You're the you're the deliverer we've been waiting for. And Jesus is like, man, you don't you don't understand. And Jesus goes on to say, not only must I die, not only must I carry a cross, but if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to carry a cross. If you are going to be my follower, you are going to have to carry a cross. And understand this, in those times, the way that the Romans did it when they were going to execute someone is that they made the criminals carry their cross as a sign of submission to the Roman rule. That's what they were doing. So when you carry your cross as a as as a lawbreaker throughout the city, what you did as a lawbreaker is you said, I'm not going to submit to the rules. But once they caught you, they flogged you, and then they made you carry this cross. You were declaring to everyone, even though I don't want to, I am submitting to the lordship of Rome. I'm submitting to their lordship. They are now my owners. They are the ones that rule me, and I am submitting to them. And so when Jesus says that anyone who desires to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross. What he is saying is the same picture that is there for me and the same picture that is there for every lawbreaker that they have to show their submission and allegiance to Rome by carrying a cross is the same way that you would do that for me. The same way. See, when I deny myself see because in this, in, in, in this, in this communication from Jesus, he's like, look you can do it your way or you can do it my way. Either way, you, you, you're going to be rewarded for your works. Bad or good. You can live for yourself or you can live for me. You can deny yourself or you can deny me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you can try to save your life or you can allow me to save your life. You can lose your life for me and gain life. He gives them these options. And what he's communicating is he's saying, listen, he said, you are going to have to come and carry this cross. And what happens to us is that as you and I deny ourselves, as we carry our cross, that is the way that our characters develop. And turning to this last scripture with me is the Philippians chapter 2. And I told you the apostle Paul is communicating with us something that's very important for us to understand when it comes to us working out our salvation. Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at verse 12 through 13. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Look what he says here. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Look what he says work out. See, there goes that workout word. Look at that. Uh-huh. Press, work out, exercise, spiritual, we're talking about. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now look at the next verse. This is almost like a contradiction. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So in one verse he's saying you work. In the next work he's saying because God works. And what this shows is it shows the dual-handed work of salvation in our lives. That's what it shows. What he is saying here is, he is saying when he says for you to work out your salvation, that is a word, and, and, I, and I can't remember how it is exactly in the Greek, so I'm going to try to say it, but it is kategorizami or something like that. It's something like that, and, and it sounds like the word categorize, and what he's saying is, he's saying put your life in order. Order your life after what? After the word of God. Order your life after the declaration of faith in Jesus. Order your life. But look what he goes on to say. He says, because it is God who wills and works, right? It is God who works. That word work is different. That word work there is the word egron in the Greek. Or, and, and, it's, and it's where we get the word energy, And so what happens is when I order my life, when I discipline my life, when I allow the cross to be the thing that is directing me, what is happening is I am positioning myself for the grace of God to work in me. When I when I, when I I decide, you know what, I am going to wake up early to pray. When I decide I am going to discipline myself in the scripture. When I decide I am going to be a man or a woman of worship and I am going to glorify and honor God. I am going to say no to sin. When I order my life in that way, what I am doing is I am positioning myself for the power of God to work out in me what God has already worked in me. See, because what he does instantaneously is he works in his grace. He grips hold of us immediately, and he wants what? He wants us to work out what is already worked in. He wants us to work out the love that he's placed in there. He wants us to work out the forgiveness that is already in there. He wants us to work out the direction and guidance that he has for us that he's already put in there. He wants us to work that out. But if you are just a mess spiritually... And you're not going to discipline yourself, then you're not doing what the Bible says. Look at the words he chooses. He says to work out your salvation with what? He said fear and trembling, right? He didn't say work out your salvation with no fear, with no trembling, just work it out. You wouldn't work out anything. You don't have anything to work out. But he says, do this with fear and trembling. What are you afraid of? Are you fearing the wrath of God? Listen, I'm not going to tell you you need to fear the wrath of God. If you're a child of God, you should work out your salvation with a fear that is reverential for God. That's what you should do. You should work out your salvation with a holy reverence for what God has done. You should work out your salvation with a trembling because you recognize that you in and of yourself are unworthy of this salvation that you have been entrusted with. That you should work that out as though you are not someone who has arrived like the Apostle Paul, but you are someone who is on your way in relationship with him. So the question is, and I'm closing right now. Is have you been freed by the power of the cross? Is the cross the foundation for your life? And is the cross forming your character? So the first question is do you know Jesus? Seriously. Do you know him? Do you recognize or have you recognized that you are a sinner whose sins separate you from God, who guarantee you an eternity separated from God in hell? There is no, you know, you hang out there for a little while and then you leave, no. Once you die, the Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so we recognize that we are sinners and because of our sin, we're separated from God. And because we are separated from God by our sins, because we break his laws and he is a just God, then he has to do what? He has to deal with sin. And so if I don't put my faith in him and let him deal with my sin through Jesus, guess what? He's got to deal with his sin through me. It's not because he wants to, because remember, he shows his love on the cross for us. Do you recognize the power of the cross? Do you recognize what Jesus did? Do you recognize that Jesus died in your place to bring deliverance to your life? Have you put your faith in his promise? Have you been freed? Have you been freed from that separation from God? Maybe you're not free from your separation from others. Maybe you can't forgive. Maybe there's bitterness in your heart. Maybe there's stuff that you need to deal with. And you have to be honest, you're not free. Or maybe you're pursuing the things of this world and you're not even concerned about God's will for your life. Maybe you are overwhelmed and consumed by those things that separate you from his will. And you know what? God calls you to repentance for any of those things today. He calls you to turn from your sin. Is is the cross, the second thing, first of all, is do you know him? The second thing is, is the cross the foundation? And that question is, are you letting his identity be your identity? Are you trusting in his works, not your own? Are you trusting in his grace, not depending on your situations? And the last thing is, is the cross forming your character? Is the cross of Jesus motivation for you to die to yourself is the cross of jesus motivation for you to say no to the sins that you may love to do the things that you may enjoy that you say you know what i'm not going to indulge in sin because my savior died for my sin i'm not going to live for my own desires but i'm going to live for his glory stand your feet please and bow your heads